Hello and welcome to a new series of Cam's Cops, Our Stories. In the coming weeks, we'll be covering a whole host of topics that we hope will give you a greater insight into policing in Cambridgeshire. If you missed the first series, you can catch up on our YouTube channel. Today, we speak to Simon Frost, who sadly lost thousands to romance fraud. Simon lives alone in his home in Soham and started talking to people online because he felt lonely. Unfortunately, the people he was speaking to weren't who they said they were and began to take advantage of Simon and started asking him for money. We also speak to Cyber and Fraud Prevention Officer Kate Thwaites, who has been working with Simon and other victims of romance scams to help them through their ordeal and offer prevention advice. So, first of all, I was just going to ask, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you came to online dating? Um, you know, what led you there? Loneliness, fundamentally. Um, I was living in southern Spain and I was there for just under 30 years. I came back here having left a, a wife in southern Spain, mostly because my daughter lives in Sam, which is where she was actually born. And uh, I came back, uh, and during this period, I started chatting to people online, which is, I guess, the normal way that this happens. And it just developed from there. There were actually three different lots of people two of whom I subsequently discovered were actually in league with each other, talking to each other, and they had a go at getting at me through the local court in Ghana. And this was two lots of, of two different groups. So um, they're a pretty sophisticated bunch. And so which platform were you on? I used email and Skype. And what was it, obviously, before you knew who they really were, who this person really was, what attracted you to her? That's an interesting question. I'm not 100% sure. It was just somebody that I could chat to on a one-to-one -one basis and be friendly. How did things develop? You know, how did she sort of build that friendship with you? We chatted on an almost daily basis for a period. It developed very quickly into showing interest in, in each other, giving conversations about family life. I, I mean, I learned, on two of them, I learned all about their family and, and what their life was. One of them, how true it was, I don't know. After a couple of months, turned out she was employed by the World Health Authority 
I think she was pretty genuine, but again, I don't know. She was supposed to be flying to Sweden to the uh, World Health Authority uh, annual conference, that she was going to spend a few days with me here. She was, uh, so I'm told, again, I don't know, uh, she was apparently uh, attacked by a lorry on the way to the airport and was killed in, in, the, in the taxi. And this is what you've been told? This is what I've been told. How true it is, I have no idea. So I can only imagine that must have made you feel really upset and sad having, having built up a friendship almost. I was looking forward to her coming and, and looking forward to meeting her, yeah. And so you say you sent money. Was this quite large amounts initially or did you do it more than once? This first one was not large amounts. Apart from anything else, it didn't go on very long. But I did send a couple of hundred pounds, supposedly for her mother, who lived in uh, Argentina. And I'm guessing when they were requesting money, was it for quite emotive reasons? You know, what were they requesting the money for? Oh, you name it, it fits. Literally. They will pick up on things that you've said weeks before and come up and, oh, you know, you mentioned so-and-so, and it goes on from there. Is that what makes them seem genuine, that they sort of seem to take a, a real interest in yourself and your life and they can, you know, remember details and things like that? Would you say that's part of, of what makes them seem so genuine? And perhaps some people may not realise initially that they aren't who they say they are. I guess we all have the same sort of background. I wasn't brought up by a family that uh, ever really treated me, really, in, in a very circumspect way. Uh, we hear a lot about family love and that sort of thing. I didn't get any of this. Uh, right from, well, really from birth, I was sent off to a boarding school at the age of seven and a half. Uh, I wasn't allowed to see anybody at school except once a term. Uh, Holidays, of course, were at home, but nothing seriously friendly in there. Does that make sense? So I developed a very early lack of attachment, uh, particularly to my father, whom I, I worked with more consciously than my mother. My mother was like me, became diabetic fairly early on and didn't handle it well. She really didn't. 
would you say your upbringing then in terms of almost a lack of love would you say that's maybe driven your desire to to make new friends and and to see the good in people i was also born dyslexic which in the early 50s nobody understood had no knowledge of it whatsoever the school didn't understand it they kept me going until i was what 13 and a half and then threw me out which wasn't really very helpful to anybody least of all my father remember my father chatting to the headmaster uh, after all this and said fine what do i do with him now he had no idea he didn't understand what dyslexia was how it could be with somebody like myself with a, with a, an above mensa level and he really had no idea i was then sent off for a term uh, for a year at millfield which uh, is another one of these famous boarding schools this was not the uh, the senior school this was the, the the junior school and they didn't understand any of this either so i i just ran into a, a, a long selection of problems i hadn't managed to teach myself how to uh, to work towards understanding things I didn't get any uh, GCEs, as they were called then, until I was 19 and a half. And by 23, I had a qualification as an auctioneer and surveyor. After three years, um, again, not with people that understood, but I, and I still don't understand how but I found a way of learning. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and do you think, though, that perhaps with, with your dyslexia and with your upbringing and your background and how, how you've got to this point, do you think that's, that's led to, to, to you perhaps being vulnerable to people online? Do you think that people may target you? Um, were they aware of your background at all? Or? Interesting. I haven't quite looked at it that way. But I guess in a way, yes. I mean, this affected me until, oh, about five years ago when I got back from Spain. And I started to think about it. I mean, in the meanwhile, I'd, I'd also given up uh, auctioneering and gone into dentistry and, and became a dentist took me a long time but uh, i spent best part of seven and a half years training to get there but i got there really and would you when you started the conversations with these these women that you believed you were having a friendship with and um, were they aware of your of what you had done as a career? Were they, were they quite 
keen to know about your finances and stuff like that? No. I mean, they obviously realised that I had money. And um, as Dave said to me, they started gently, you know, £100 here, £100 there. The second lot of people that took me on really went to town. I was made to, in theory, marry this girl, which was all, which is how we got involved with the local authority, because they managed to get hold of, God knows how a copy of my birth certificate. I was sent a copy of their birth certificate, uh, which was absolutely correct. And they used that again. I don't know what they did, but this girl and her mother went off and actually organized uh, to get a wedding certificate. Wow. And so um, obviously you didn't want to marry this, this girl. This wasn't no. the plan. No. But in the meanwhile, of course, I paid God knows what, including a period when she was supposed to be flying to England, didn't turn up was arrested in the, this is the story I got again, I was arrested in the airport and I had to pay God knows what to get her out of there. And this is the sorts of thing, in order to ask you for money, this was you, the usual sort of thing they would say, they'd be in crisis, for example, like you say, they'd need bailing out or, or something like that. That was, that was when they normally asked you for money. You name it, they came up with it. Literally anything that uh, I now know was deliberately targeted towards me and my soft nature. My, my whole rationale behind all this was to help people who were in trouble. I did not at that stage realize that any of this was a trouble thing. Nothing at all. So you just wanted to make some friends to, to, to ease the loneliness and as a result of making these friendships, help them out if they needed it. Yes. And eventually to meet them and, and see whether there was any reason for continuing. Absolutely. and. If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer this, how much have you paid these people over the, the course of the, the time that you've been speaking with them? The one we've just wound up, I paid about 27,000. Uh, the one before that, considerably more. Uh, because that was all tied up with getting married and, and uh, apparently her sister was shot uh, by somebody. 
as I was told. So they again, I, so much of this stuff I don't know as any degree of certainty, but it was all very, very plausible. And how did it make you feel when they when they were telling you these stories? You know, of a sister being shot and one of them being imprisoned and. I guess, like you say, your your really kind and generous nature, it just pulled on your heartstrings, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't stop and think about it. And that's the truth of it. And I didn't, with the one that we just finished as well, I didn't stop and think what on earth is going on i still strongly believed that this this was actually the first one uh that has dragged on for 10 years the amounts i've paid were for most of the time not that much although it has got more lately it's only over the recent weeks that I've seriously thought about what was going on and why. So are you starting to think now, are you becoming aware that these people may not be who they said they were and these stories may not be true? The, the first lot, yes. That became very obvious when two different groups got together and they started chatting to me from the courtroom in, in, in Accra, Ghana. And I had been there because I went and reported somebody who I don't even remember what it was, but I blocked them from something. Uh, this was somebody that, that was supposed to meet me at the airport and we discovered that this wasn't right before I actually left. So I actually got there two days before I said I had, went back to the airport, was picked up by this guy and taken to his van whereupon he was arrested. <laughs> that's wow and what I was going to ask and this may, this may link into this at what point I know deep down you still probably want to believe these people are genuine but at what point did you report this or, or raise the alarm or did a family member raise the alarm that there was something suspicious or not quite right my daughter primarily my eldest daughter she has taken on my overall care because i'm 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 having trouble with eyes i'm having trouble with ears and uh she decided that she didn't want to get into a mess later on if i oh and i was also diagnosed with uh, alzheimer's of one sort or another and uh I'm taking drugs for that. That's the only drugs I'm taking apart from insulin because I've avoided that. 
And uh, she decided quite rightly, because her husband is having big problems with his father, and she made sure that I have got paperwork proving that I have agreed to her making decisions for me. Yeah, that sounds sensible. And, and, and at what point, how did it feel when you had to say to your daughter or, or to, to us, to, to someone like Kate, I've, tra- you know, I've transferred big sums of money to these people, you know, and, and I, I've not got it back and I've never met them. How did that feel? For you? With the recent one, uh, which is where Kate came into this, I'm still not convinced completely that this lady is real. Uh, she may be real, she may not. And I'm not 100% sure about that. But I've gone along with, with what Kate and, and uh, this character, Dave, talked about. And we'll see what happens. And how have you found the process um, working with Kate and kind of investigating these people and, and trying to find out the truth? How has that been for you? Has it been quite difficult? It's not in my nature to take other people's advice like that. I prefer, I've always preferred, with a, a, a high degree level, I've always preferred to work things out for myself. I realise that uh, I'm not in a realm where I understand. I don't. That's understandable, yeah. And so, Kate, if we can come to you now and ask mm-hmm. you a few questions. What I would like to ask is whether Simon's experience is something that you see often with, with, with romance fraud cases. Yes, it is, yeah. So um, we normally find that someone will perhaps go on a dating site, uh, maybe because they're lonely, you know, their, their partner might have left them or passed away. Um, and someone will kind of target them and just very subtly get information. So um, if they learn that perhaps someone in the family's died, they might assume that you've inherited some money. And it's just, it's really, really subtle. It can be over a number of weeks and months while they're gathering that information um, before they actually start asking to take money. But we find a lot of people who are lonely or they're isolated. And the person online they're talking to might be the only person they chat to that week. So. Sometimes even if we speak to people and, and point out the dangers of it being a scam, they'd still rather carry on because to talk to that person is better than not talking to anybody. You, you develop a very close relationship with these people. I mean, you're sending them money, for goodness sake. So you've got to believe if you're reasonably sensible. I mean, we, <laughs> we've all of us heard of people who decide after three days of chatting that these people need their money. I never did that. It was a longer period of time before? No, no. I mean, the first thing with this latest one was that I sent an air there for her to come. 
Uh, I even went to Heathrow to pick her up. <laughs> she never arrived. She never arrived. So how did that make you feel? I believe there was a good reason for it. And she was very quick to come up with good reasons for it. And so, Kate, from your point of view, what are the main signs that all is not well? So normally, um, quite quickly after starting to chat to somebody, they will ask you to move to a different form of communication. So you might have started on a dating website, for example, and they'll quite quickly get you to move to either your own emails or um, WhatsApp or Google Hangouts. And part of the reason for that is because the messaging through those other um, outlets is not monitored in the same way as a dating app would be. So no one's going to pick up on the sort of things they're asking and the information that they're requesting. Um, very, very often there will be um, really quite professional photos of somebody. And if it's not somebody asking for money because they're ill or there's bad luck stories about their family members, then normally it's someone who uh, purports to be in a professional capacity, maybe a CEO of a business or, um, or a doctor or a surgeon. We've seen that quite a lot. Um, and they will ask for money because perhaps, uh, for example, one lady had a, was chatting to a surgeon or so she thought he was in business with another surgeon who wasn't particularly good with money. So he needed her financial help to get himself back on an even keel. Oil rig workers is another really common one. So very often people will say they come from America, they're working on an oil rig in another country, but they need money for, um, for a project that they're running. Or in some cases, for a helicopter flight to get off the rig. And then the promises are that they'll come and marry you, they'll bring their children. So for someone who's really lonely, They've got the potential of this quite nice looking professional person coming to be their partner and bringing children as well. You know, that for somebody who is on their own and perhaps doesn't have their own family is, is quite desirable. So you can kind of see why someone would consider it to be genuine. Uh, but, but the warning signs are moving to the different communication sites. If you ask to see that person or meet them, they will give good, they'll give reasons at the last minute as to why you couldn't, say, Skype them and see them or FaceTime them. Um, and the meetings are often postponed. And again, it's probably due to a family illness or someone's died. So they're kind of all the warning signs. And Simon, did you ever see, did you do video calls and things with these people or did you only ever just see their photographs? What, you know? We only ever swap photos. I didn't do anything directly online, not even from the, uh, the, the, the border people in, in Ghana. So everything was done online that way, which is not that clever when you look back and think about it. I suppose it's the only way you can communicate with them. That's well, in theory, yes. In practice, no, not so. I mean, I, I can chat with my sister in Florida. Uh, there were four of us, and now only her and myself left out of the whole family. And I don't have a son, so the, the family will die out as of my passing, as it were. 
that wasn't something you were looking for, was it? When you were online, you didn't want to to be with somebody or start a you know a new family or anything like that. I was very comfortable doing what I was doing until they started taking lots of money. And Kate, it seems a silly question, really, because we know for the most part, I was going to say, what is a fraudster's aim here? I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's financial, but can there be any other reason for, for, for reaching out to people in the way they do? So the primary aim is to get money, large amounts of money, as much as they can. Um, in some circumstances, they will also... Uh, pass on any personal information that they've gained from somebody. So either passing it on or selling it. Yeah, I mean, this really came up because it muddled all three different people into the same group. They tried with Antonia, which is the one I've just finished, but she was clever enough not to get involved with that. So you think they wanted some of your personal details as well? Oh, absolutely. What sort of details did they ask you for? Could be anything. Anything out of, you know, I'm I'm open enough to talk about everything that happened. And I'm talking about over a 10-year period. Antonia, we've just folded up, happened just before Christmas 2012. And it's been going on ever since then. Would they ask you, what sort of things would they ask you about yourself? Literally anything. Whether it's on an overtly sexual way, or whether it was on a daily process of what's going on, literally anything. Would they ask you about anything to do with, like, say, your career, finances, bank details, anything like that? Interesting. Uh, No, because on the whole, they're too clever at asking questions to specifically ask. I think that's fair. What we tend to see is that if someone has been the victim of a scam once, the assumption with the scammers is that if somebody else approaches you, um, that you might fall victim again. And that's what they're banking on, that your situation hasn't changed, that you enjoyed talking to them, and although you've realised they weren't genuine, perhaps somebody new coming in with a completely different story might seem genuine. So it's things like name, address, email address, telephone numbers. That's the sort of information that would be shared with other scammers because that's how they can link in with individuals. And Kate, what would you say to to other... There may be people out there now that have been broiled in a bit of a chat online with somebody and it's, it's got to a point where they feel a bit in too deep. They've given so much money, it seems silly to walk away at this point and there's the real desire and, and hope that that person is real what would you say to someone that might be in that situation at the minute, or indeed someone on the brink of feeling lonely we've just had a pandemic we're still in it thinking about turning to, to to online friendships and relationships what would you say to those people okay so firstly for people that are, find themselves in the situation that we're describing first of all tell somebody because it's really really common for the scammers to tell you not to tell anybody else so don't share with your friends or family keep it to yourself and that's quite a big burden to be carrying, especially if you have been sending money. Because the longer when, when there's big sums of money. 
Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the longer it carries on, the more difficult it can be to stop. So if you share it with friends and family who you might think will be cross, will, you know, will not be happy that you've, that you've sent money to somebody else. And, and personally, they, the individuals might feel a little bit ashamed that they've done that. And my advice would be don't feel that at all. So any caring family member or friend has your best interests at heart. So all they want to do is support you and help you. And very often to share that burden with somebody else takes a great relief um, from the, the victim of the scam. Um, anybody thinking about going into dating online, which is quite, it's quite a common time after Christmas and the lead up to Valentine's Day, you know, the sites are there for a reason. They are there to be used. Um, just don't rush into things. You know, if people start to try and get you to move to a different uh, platform, just take time to think about why are they doing that? Why are you not staying on the dating app? Um, I'm not trying to put people off using dating apps at all. You know, they, they serve a purpose, but they are sort of controlled and monitored where some of these other sites aren't. So I suppose if somebody tells you really quickly that they have strong feelings for you or that, and that they love you, having never met you and probably only spoken to you a handful of times, again, you probably want to take a step back and think, you know, why do they think that about me? They've never met me. They know limited information. And just kind of just let things take time rather than rushing into something or be pressured into sending money if somebody suddenly tells you they've got a bad luck story and feels that there's an urgency for you to send money, just actually think, well, is that likely to be genuine? You know, have they not got friends and family who can help them out? One of the things that scammers will keep asking individuals, and I've seen this a lot, when they contact you, they will say, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing right now? Because they want to know, are you talking to somebody? Have you told anybody about what's going on? Have you kept it confidential? And if they find out that actually you are telling other friends and family, that to them, it, there's less chance of them getting their money. So whereas if you say to them, you know, I'm not talking to anybody, you know, you've got my full attention, nobody else knows about this, then they feel they've got that bit more control over you. Does this ring true for you, Simon, in terms of how they would speak to you and ask you, like you were saying earlier, they'd ask you about your day. Did these people ever tell you, just going on what Kate had said, did these people ever tell you they loved you? Oh, yeah, very much so. And got me doing the same thing. And who? how did they do that? Did they just type that out or was it over the phone? or Whatever our communication means was, it came up. And we had long chats about what we might be doing or not doing. And why not? You did, did you think you did love them? Did you feel you did love these people, this person that you were speaking to at the time? No. Not totally, because I haven't got to the next stage. But uh, I wanted them to understand that I meant what I was saying. Did you think by saying that you loved them, because they'd said that to you, that that would help, you know, strengthen the, the bond, the relationship, and, and move things on at another level, maybe? I certainly believed so. What was believed? by many, I don't know, the first one, Antonia, that we just literally, over the last three or four weeks, wound up. I know she believed it, and still does. She, she uh, wrote to Daria a couple of days ago, saying that she hoped I got well soon. 
because we, we told her that I uh, had a heart attack and was in hospital because that was a good way of winding it up. Did you feel that that was perhaps the only way out? That's an interesting thing that you've just said. This, by obviously explaining you've not been well, is that a way to kind of end it? She can't communicate with somebody who's in hospital or expected to die. And Kate, from a point of view of, of kind of seeing the scale of this, what are the sort of statistics out there that we know of? I suppose there'll be many that we don't know about for sort of romance fraud and scams. Yeah, so if we look at some action fraud figures for 2021, there was approximately £92 million lost in romance scams nationally. And as you rightly point out, they're the ones we're told about. I have no doubt there's a good many that we never get to hear about as well. And Kate, in terms of advice, where people can go for advice, mm-hmm. um, where can people turn? You know, where can they go if they, if they need advice on romance scams and more information? Okay, so they can obviously go to the Cambridgeshire Police website. Um, Action Fraud website has a lot of information as well. Um, if they want someone to visit them and talk to them, then obviously Fraud Prevention Team will come out and chat to them. Um, it's all about providing practical measures as to how to deal with the situation. So, yes, it can be embarrassing for people to talk about it initially, but we're used to hearing the conversations and we see the red flags and sort of the trigger points. Um, And our job is to make it as easy as possible for that scam victim to stop it. You are actually better than anybody I met before. This has been going on since I got here. And yes, I sent stuff to one of your colleagues, I won't mention names, which was passed on, and I passed on, stuff to Action Fraud, which really didn't produce anything. Nothing came back from them in terms of advice. You've met me on my own level and not blamed me for doing what I'm doing, whereas Before that, I was blamed, and particularly through the bank. So it's really important. That's a really good point, because you are the victim of a very sophisticated scam, an international scam. It's extremely sophisticated. Absolutely, of course it is. So you you have done nothing wrong. You've trusted people. You're a good-natured person. And you have been tricked by these people. And and when we talk to you or we talk to family members... We have to hold on to that fact that you are the victim here of this sophisticated international scam. So, Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what age somebody is, what sex they are, what sort of lifestyle or education they have. Literally anybody could fall victim of one of these scams. And if people are lonely and they're chatting to people sort of in the evening into the early hours, it can affect your sleep. It can affect your mental health. It can then have a knock-on effect with your family relationships how well you can do your job if you're tired. And then some people just kind of reach a point where literally the steam's coming out of the ears and they've they've not shared it with anybody and they desperately need our help. And that's when we would definitely advise them to get in touch so we can help take that pressure off and do some practical advice to help stop it and signpost for additional support as well. And so aside from, Simon, I know you've got some health issues and, and things like that. Aside from that, mentally... And, and, and sort of looking ahead going forward, how do you feel and what do you think life looks like for you? Will you put this, 
these this chat online chats behind you do you think i've i'm still developing techniques for dealing with it but then we're talking about something where on an almost daily basis i've chatted to this lady in in nigeria which is where she lives it's very difficult after a period of that where you've actually believed what they're telling you. So, no, I'm still finding my way. But I am realis realistic enough to know that I am not going into this uh, I feel lonely bit, nobody talks to me, etc because i'll damn well find somebody who will <laughs> and we had a discussion didn't we about um what your hobbies and interests were and other things that you could divert your time to rather yeah. than chatting to the people online and i think with covid hasn't helped because a lot of sort of group societies that perhaps people would normally attend have been closed but hopefully moving forwards some of those will reopen again and we can start getting back to what was sort of normal social activity Absolutely. Absolutely. And with your outgoing, I mean, I, I felt free last week to ask you and Damien again. Yeah. Because I was struggling with, with getting rid of uh, Antonio. Yeah. And I think the problem is because you've been chatting for so many years, you sometimes need us to come back and reinforce that messaging and because it's almost, like we said last week, it's almost like you've been brainwashed by these people and you trust them and you know them really well. I think it's probably, unless anyone's got anything they want to add. And just, just a couple of things. I suppose one around the profile of the person that you're talking to online. You do kind of need to analyse it a little bit. So you could do your own research on the name, the person. And like with Simon's example, you know, someone was saying they were in hospital receiving treatment. So again, we could do a certain amount of research around that to see if it's genuine or not. But also, you know, if you do end up talking to that person verbally, does that match the description on the profile? You know, does the voice, does it have the right accent? Are there discrepancies between what's in the profile and what you're being told? Because again, they're all signs that perhaps that person isn't genuine. I mean, we wouldn't stand in the streets and start giving people all our personal information, someone we didn't know. <laughs> but until we've met this person, they are the same as a stranger. So... You know, why are we giving personal information online to someone we've never met if we wouldn't do it standing in the high street? So it's just about having that, that air of caution, really. The money that's sent, a lot of people don't realise what it's actually used for. So the assumption is that it's used for perhaps they can get a big house, flash car, you know, better lifestyle. And in some cases that is true. But more often than not, when we're talking about vast amount of money, when we go back to that 92 million that was lost, nationally last year it's That's used to fund a lot of money in a year it's a lot of money yeah and it's very often used to fund things like organized crime and terrorism so buying drugs um, people trafficking all sorts of things which i don't think any of us would want to pay a single pound towards so again just to remember if you're chatting to someone online and they start asking you for money the likelihood is that's where your money's going to go towards so i think it's really important to understand that as well Thank you to everyone who took the time to speak to us today, in particular Simon for bravely telling us about his experience. And thank you for listening. Remember to look out for the next episode of Cam's Cops Our Stories on our YouTube channel.
If you've been affected by the content of today's podcast or want to know more about how to protect yourself from romance scams, visit our website, cams.police.uk and search for dating fraud. Thanks for listening.